becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing those other songs. Glimmer, glimmer, of the ship being seen. Yeah, I think that's, that, right. that's going to work well. Okay. okay. Hey, Michael. Hey, Matt. What's going on? <laughs> Welcome to the Shores of Ignorance, everybody. Yes, we are here. Another one of those uh, social distancing, whatever those one are. One of those virtual thingies. Virtual thingies, yeah. I'm growing quite tired of it, but we're doing it. We're still doing it, yeah. One of these days, we'll see each other yeah. face to face. <laughs> Eyes to eyes. I keep trying to think about a uh, uh, like a um, quarantine song that I can write. Ooh! But I, I haven't come up with anything. My creative juices have been dry. Maybe you should start with a more of a uh, what's that guy's name who's saying, uh, "I'm fat, I'm fat, you know it." Come on, take a whole weed on ride. <laughs> It's weird I, I think it's, Oh, I was going to say, I think you're singing a Michael Jackson song, but it's got to be yeah. a Weird Al version. It's a Weird Al, yeah. That's funny. You should do a Weird Al uh, COVID uh My mind single. doesn't think that way. Mm. Not a uh, not anywhere serious? near as talented <laughs> as Weird Al. Wow, yeah. He is like an, a, an amazingly talented musician. It's pretty amazing. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Um, he's really silly, too. He's really silly, too. <laughs> he just so, had a spider crawl across me. I was like, ah! I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I enjoyed our conversation from the last episode and was kind of surprised um, at the positive feedback we got from it. I think we started mm-hmm. to hit on something that uh, resonated with some people. Yeah, which we kind of stumbled into. We had started off wanting to talk about freedom and structure, and and we sort of arrived at this place of talking about character mm-hmm. within the interchange of those two things. And so, I thought we could, we thought we could try to pick back up where we were there and see what sort of threads we can pull on. Yeah, I think that's I think that's good. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting to go from freedom and security to character. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't expect that. Uh, but there, there does seem to be like a thread there as far as, you know, in order to to be responsible with the freedom you have and also know the, um, the limitations on security, you know, there has to be a, a little bit of, uh, I think maybe character does play into play into that somewhere maybe that's something we can explore because i think of like character like you know whenever you want your kids to be able to go out on their own and be their own person but also you want them to depend on other people for help and you know be social and and be along be able to get along with other people which also you have to teach your kids how to you know abide by the rules because in any social situation, there's a certain you know rules that you um, that you agree to and uh, and play with or uh, play to, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, the word you used a second ago, responsibility. I mean, that sounds mm-hmm. like what that is. We want our kids to go out 
and explore their freedom, but we want them to do it responsibly. And Mm -hmm. that means to be aware of the people around them and how they're affecting them and also how they're affecting themselves Mm -hmm. in that. And it seems like if you can go out and engage freedom and structure in a responsible way, that is the, the stage is sort of set for the building of character. Yeah. But character is one of those funny words that I, I don't have a really great working definition for. Yeah. But I, I don't ever really question what it means. That's it. Yeah. I was just thinking the same thing. (laughs) It's sort of a word that I take for granted. I'm going to be our Jamie here. (laughs) Character, the mental and moral qualities distinctive in an individual. Mental and moral qualities. Distinctive in an individual? Yeah. That sounds sort of descriptive of... of their, of their moral ideals and Mm. the way that they think about them. I sort of think think of character as, as more of a, I think I tend to think of it as the way that you creatively manifest yourself in a time of challenge and adversity. Mm. And that, and and maybe it it is more the way that you creatively manifest yourself at the inter, interchange of um, freedom and structure, because there is a clash there and a balance that has to be held. And the way that you hold that balance and the way that you act in the world with with that balance, mm. I I think I might describe as character. Yeah. I think the word sort of came out uh, of the conversation we were having about some of the Austin businesses and how they are handling the situation and remarking that if it's handled with character, that will pay dividends to those businesses for lots of time to come. Mm -hmm. So in that context, it seems like, the businesses that are using this opportunity to creatively problem solve in a caring and unique way, unique in that it addresses the fears and problems and also ability and responsibility of the community they serve Hmm. is where I think we were starting to see character in that conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it just strikes me that there's there's good character and then there's bad character is, is definitely mm-hmm. a, you know, there's two sides of that. Mm. But also made me think of, uh, you know, <clears throat> even for, like I just see like the character of my staff, you know, and how they are just, you know, rising to the occasion and being creative and, you know, you know, still, have, I mean, everyone's still, people and normal and you know you have your fears but also kind of rising above i mean that's even kind of i guess what courage is is it was was it courage and something else it's like the difference between being 
fearless and courage or and, and having courage is like being afraid, but still, um, rising to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that's what courage is. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not being fearless. It's, it's having fear, but rising despite to the it. occasion, despite it. Yeah. So you said there's bad character. I don't ever think about character in that direction. I always think it's either you have character or you don't. It's a positive thing that you can, that you have or, or you don't. I think of, I think of like, you know, uh, your parents or, or my parents, like, you know, oh, that kid's a bad character. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's usually, it's usually the kid that everybody blames. You're like, oh, why do you smell like smoke? Oh, I was at so-and-so's house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and they get all the blame for everybody else's. Like, you know, even though I was smoking, it was sort of like that kid was the one who got all the blame because he was allowed to do a little bit more or whatever. <laughs> Well, is there a difference between being a character of a certain kind and having a character of a certain kind? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, being a character seems like you're playing a role. Mm-hmm. It's not, not, it's not real. It's not genuine. You think? Yeah. Well, that's just what you were just describing. Mm-hmm. Like the character who you would blame for the smoke. Mm. You're characterizing that person in a certain way to play a certain role in your life. You also have the, you know, the characters in a classroom who are usually cracking jokes. Yeah. But to have character seems to be something completely different enough that I'm surprised that we even use the same word. It is. Like you almost wonder if it is equivalent to like chivalrous or noble you know, not the negative word of noble, but more of the positive, positive word of what it meant to be noble. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, chivalry to to put other people's needs before yours, and to um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think I'm going off on a tangent there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so something we were talking about before we started, um, you had mentioned, you know, how, how does, what are these times, I think how you said it is, what are these times good for? Mm. And that was sort of the first thing that we organically came to was that we're seeing some development of character and that seems to be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, what other what other thoughts do you have around what are these times good for? I think we started to hit on this idea a couple of episodes back, but there does seem to be an opportunity. Yeah. Well, I think two things come to mind is <clears throat> one's a question for you is like, you know, like when did, uh, like when can you find, when do you, when did you see like defining moments in your life that you felt like character was built? Hmm. And then the the other side of that would be, um, like I don't see a way that you can build character without going through uh, suffering or trials or things that challenge. Like in you know, like when everything is good, you don't really. It doesn't seem like that's a time that you really build character. It's sort of like the same idea of, uh, you know, I guess the kind of the proverbs of. Uh, in order to refine gold or silver, you know, you have to burn off all the dross, you know, but it takes fire to, mm-hmm. to bring those, um, uh, uh, impurities to the surface. 
So it's, it's so I do I do see that element of character can only come through sort of come through the fire, you know. Yeah. Uh, you have to be challenged because I think you're. I think we surprise ourselves. Like we don't know really how will we how we will interact or react in a situation that is stressful. You know. We we. Yeah. You know, well, I, I was just thinking. I think when I imagine someone who has character, they are a person that can be counted on and trusted when mm. things seem unknown. Yeah. And for that to be true, I think it must also be true that character is built through experiencing going through things that are unknown and, and suffering those things mm-hmm. so that character is built. I, it maybe is closely uh, aligned with resilience, mm. but in a conscious way, not in a way like children are resilient, but it's, it's yeah. a sort of resilience combined with wisdom. <coughs> yeah. Because it does well, seem to be something that arrives, arises out of suffering and out of adversity met with those things met with um, met with courage. Mm -hmm. That's a question. Like what, what makes you trust somebody, you know? So the idea of you're going into a firefight, it's easy to use uh, military type terms, you know, Mm -hmm. and you always watch the shows like, Oh, I wouldn't go into a, uh, into an alley with that guy. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't know, or I would go anywhere with that guy or something like that. So like, what is it that he's proven? He said something about being a proven character or proven in times of stress or something like that. Well, I think that the quality arises through experiencing those things. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you're about your question of trust. I mean, there's a certain amount of trust that is intuited mm-hmm. and that you, you give without requiring proof because I can trust someone that I don't know very well. Yeah. And, and that's not because they've proved them, proven themselves yet to be trustworthy, but I can still trust them. That's interesting. Like I, I find, I find I have levels of trust. Mm-hmm. You know, so someone I first meet, there's a certain amount of trust that's extended. And if that is met, then that trust kind of is, it kind of grows into more. Yeah. You know, that, that I know this person actually wants to be my friend, not just I'm a cog in a wheel to get further their career or whatever it might be, you know? Um, you know, because that, that kind of thing is like, oh, cool, I'll, I'll help you out or whatever, you know, but you're not really, you're not really interested in me, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is kind of more of, I'm more of a means to an end, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think there's, there's that, that building, like almost, if you want to even calling it discovering the character of another person. Mm, I like that. Uh, you know, I think of like when we do interviews for Medici, it's like, uh, I don't do them anymore. And it was like one of my most favorite things, uh, evals and, and, and interviews are just so much fun because you're, you're meeting this person for the first time and you're really trying to see, is this person going to, 
to fit well and serve your customers and them feel welcomed into your space and have the work ethic to make things look nice and do well and stuff. So, so it's a real tricky thing to determine that within a 30 minute interview, you know, right. or it could go longer than that. So how did you say it a second ago? Trust you, uh, someone gains your trust as you learn their character. Yeah. Well, I think I've seen people that are, are overly trusting and they almost just invite people to take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I've also experienced people that are overly trusting give trust to people that might not seemingly deserve it, but by them extending that trust, it actually calls them to a higher level. Right. And so there's kind of like... It calls out character. Mm-hmm. It almost allows room for this person to be somebody maybe they weren't before. Mm-hmm. Maybe our kids do that to us. <laughs> They're like, hey, I trust you. You're going to keep me alive. We're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's something to, I, for some reason, I, I'll, I'm going to start down this and see, see where yeah. this goes. I, I have the image in my head of, of someone who is late all the time. Someone that you depend on who's late all the time. Mm. and they always have some excuse or some explanation, but they're always late. And so you start to not trust that they're going to be where they said that they were going to be at the time they were going to, that you expected them to. So I, so, you know, there's a level of trust that I would not have for this person. Um, I don't trust that they're going to take our plan seriously and be there at the right time. Mm. And, so I'm trying to fit character into that in my mind and thinking perhaps it is care. The, the problem with the person being late all the time is not so much that they're late. It's that they do will not go through the fairly complicated and complex steps necessary to not be late. Mm-hmm. Like it's not that it's not just that they're late. It's that they didn't take the time to have the foresight some time back during their day to make sure that what happened needed to happen so that they could get to where they were supposed to be on time. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's not a simple thing. I mean, being on time somewhere is not a simple thing. It takes a lot of mental planning. It takes a lot of, um, changing your plan as the day goes, because as unexpected things happen that threaten your schedule, you've got to adjust. I mean, it takes a lot of, um, of being honest with yourself, being self-aware mm-hmm. and being honest with the people around you to say what you can and cannot do so that you can prioritize properly the things that need to happen, like mm-hmm. being on time at this in this example. And so in this example, that person doesn't have character because they're not willing to engage with the difficult, complicated task of fixing it. Mm -hmm. And in that case, it seems like trust and character sort of go are, um, well, go hand in hand. It's also a compounding thing too. So like, you know, that would be one aspect, you know, this person doesn't show up on time 90% of the time, mm-hmm. 70% of the time, 40% of the time. And so you kind of see certain elements in that part, 
And it's like whenever you start experiencing somebody on many different levels, like uh, not only are they not on time, you know, or close to being on time, or even maybe don't even apologize for being late. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they also never ask you how you how you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's always about them. So when they get there, they just talk all about themselves. Well, because they're self conscious about mm-hmm. the fact that they have let you down once again, or maybe not at all. Maybe they don't even know it. Yeah, possibly. They're just it's just self. I'm just I'm kind of going extreme here, like more of a self absorbed. You know, they don't value that you have things to do, and you know. It would be nice if you maybe called or said, "Hey, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm going I'm to be late or something like that." Right. So it does seem like there's like there's a lot of elements that being on time could be a element of that of what character, yeah, dem- like a, the actual physical demonstration of character. Well, and I think also telling the truth, hmm. which I think is the biggest frustration in in those sorts of relationships where. It's not just that you're late. It's that you're not willing to be truthful with me about the reasons for that. And you're not willing to be truthful with me about it because you're not willing to be truthful with yourself about it. Mm -hmm. But I think that really, I mean, the development of any positive quality in your life starts with telling the truth all all the time. Like Mm -hmm. cutting out any propensity to lie that you have. And not letting yourself get away with not telling the truth ever. And that's... That sounds pretty extreme. It's pretty extreme. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's go the other side of that too, because just the... And I I don't know if this is the other side, but this kind of ran through my head when you're... Like, I, I feel like I know some people that are... The story that they tell themselves is that they are truthful and... But they're really just hard on themselves. You know, it's it's more of uh, their their expectations are unreasonable, or mm-hmm. they. Um, again, I think it comes back down to the same idea of like not having an accurate view of your limitations. So would this be a also like not having a truthful view of yourself? Yeah, I guess so. Maybe like maybe I'm, when I'm thinking of truthful, I'm thinking of like a truthful I, I would someone that would understand that would when you're being truthful with yourself, you understand what you're capable of to a reasonable extent, and also that you are that you will always fall short of that at some at some level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're not overly hard on yourself that if you are late a couple of times or whatever, you're not like, Oh, I'm such a bad person. I'm so horrible. Right. And you're and with those people, you're like, oh, come on, man, just get over it. It's like, you're not always late. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you are late sometimes. <laughs> now, you're, now you're just ruining the time we have together because we're just focused on you feeling bad about that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, but there's, well, but maybe this is kind of part of the, the point though, is like that person doesn't have character. The person who has character shows up late, apologizes truthfully and mm. is able to hold in balance to the, the extent to which they feel bad and, and they're able to brush it off Yeah, and say, I feel bad about it. Not going to let it affect my time here. 
I've apologized mm-hmm. to you. You've forgiven me. Let's move forward. Yeah. And being able to hold that in balance and move forward in, in a way that lets it be put down, put away. That's interesting. I like the idea of balance. It's like that correct balance, holding a correct balance. Right. But I think in order to do that, you have to have practice telling the truth about that and telling the truth about that will probably at first it'll be really hard to strike the balance Mm -hmm. because telling the truth is not such a simple task as it may seem on its surface. You have to tell the truth and then tell the truth to yourself about the way that you feel about that. And you Mm -hmm. might feel ridiculously guilty out of proportion guilty and you have to be truthful about that Mm -hmm. in order to understand that it's out of proportion and in order to sort of pull that back. Yeah. And it's not until you repeatedly go through this experience and tell the truth about it to yourself and to the, those around you that you start to pull all of that into balance and character emerges. Hmm. That's interesting. It kind of reminds me of a conversation we had, I think two or three episodes ago, uh, kind of about uh, logos and... Um, uh, oh shoot! I just lost it. Correctly naming things. Hmm. So, you know, if you don't have a, oh shoot! No, I, I can't go there. But it, it did remind me of something uh, about two episodes ago that we kind of got into with with naming things and character and, uh, and logos. Yeah, I'm blanking on that. That sounds great, though. <laughs> it was really intelligent. So. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, I love the I, I think the concept of naming things is really powerful. Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, naming things correctly, you know that. Yeah. You know, whenever you whenever something happens to you, and you're like, "Hey, man, that deeply hurt me," or, "Wow, you're an amazing person. I really enjoy your company." You know, and, and it's not you're not trying to get something from somebody. It, you're like naming something or a situation and giving it life. Mm. Um, but then also like whenever someone hurts you, it's also identifying that there was something that happened here and this is how I experienced it. And um, it's like removing the falsity of maybe just sweeping it under the rug or something. Hmm. Yeah. Or, or denying yourself the urge to potentially act out of revenge, Hmm. but to name precisely how you were affected and precisely why it was the hurt was at their doing. Hmm. Would that be sort of what you're talking about? Naming it correctly? Yeah, I think so. I think it's hard to name things correctly. There's, there's so many, there's so many <laughs> things that you're, you know, that you're being presented with, yeah. but you're also like internally working through. So like somebody's late and you could be like, man, jerk. It's like, but you're actually angry because so like maybe other people have been late all, you know, so much in your life mm-hmm. that you're then projecting onto this person who was like, we're late one time. Yeah. You know, like that's not seeing correctly right. what that what that situation is. So you're falsely naming what it, what just happened. Hmm. It was more like, no, this is your friend and he was late. It's not that big of a deal. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's funny when you said it's hard to name things correctly. I was thinking, well, we all have tried to name a pet before. (laughs) It's almost impossible. (laughs) Oh, dude, I don't do that. (laughs) You just don't name pets? Oh, no. No. uh -uh. When, I told um, the kids they couldn't uh, name the chickens. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to deal with it. Uh-uh. When uh, my middle daughter was born, we hadn't picked out a name. Uh, I think we, we had kind of gotten down to two or three. We had the baby with a midwife, and so it was a little less pressure. And um, two weeks, I think it took us to name what this. Really? Uh, yeah, Estella. Um, I think I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So she was born and it's surprisingly easy not to name a baby because you don't ever address a baby by their name, uh-huh. <laughs> especially when it's your <laughs> baby and you're just home with it for two weeks. And so, um, we really had a hard time picking a name. It is hard to name things. That's funny. See, I love naming things. Just not pets. Just not pets. Yeah. Ooh, I wonder if there's some sort of, deep psychological thing there <laughs> probably <laughs> probably <laughs> pretty sure everything's deeply psychological i'll, I'll go i'll go lay down on the couch and you can uh, see if you can uh, uh, extricate that from me <laughs> yeah and go all freud on you <laughs> go all freud on me it was your mother <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that's how freud sounds but <laughs> i wonder he was german yeah i don't <laughs> that's funny <laughs> Sorry, I derailed us from the thread we were naming. on. No, we were on it. Naming. Mm-hmm. It was hard to name. It's hard to name things. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think I'm, I'm kind of oversimplifying. I think I like the. I mean, you and I do it all the time. Even like right now, we're trying to name character. Yeah, it's true. Like, like, what is this thing? We experience it. Here's a definition. So you're trying to you're trying to also understand the embodiment of character, not just the definition of character, right? And I mean that definition disappointed me. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very vague. It didn't give us much to work with. Uh oh. Yeah, the mental and moral qualities distinctive. Mental and moral quantity qualities distinctive to an individual. Yeah, that gets that like turns on no light bulbs for me. Yeah, I agree. I, I bet you, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis or somebody has a much better Winston Churchill probably has a great definition of character. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm just kind of thinking about this almost as if we were. There's probably some other word that we're also lumping into character. Our definition of character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is it about somebody that you like you like last on the last episode we were talking about those different businesses. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there any other words that come to your mind besides character? Mm. Creativity. Mm-hmm. And not creativity like as in you make use creativity to make art, but creativity in that, how are we going to create our future going forward, our community going forward? How are we going to create our business going forward? Because it's going, it's all in need of new growth Mm -hmm. in new directions in ways that we had never anticipated. Yeah. Um, 
so the creating that future and then seeing that that future as it comes to pass is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the restaurant giving out free food, it's mm-hmm. like never, they would never have reason to do that, but they were creative in this time and said, we still want to create food and we still, and we want to meet the need of the community that we had planned to serve. <clears throat> so we're going to do that. And, and then to do that and to see that it's good. Yeah. And that seems like the building of character. I also Mm -hmm. think about that example too, because, well, like I said, in the last podcast, it gave opportunity to have an experience that I would not have had otherwise Yeah, to talk directly to a chef about the food he just made me. I mean, that's, that is creating, it's creating, creating a concept, creating an experience out of necessity. And that takes some character or builds some character or both. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Another thing that came to mind when you were talking about that was, you know, whenever you think of somebody who has character, you think of like a multidimensional, you know, part uh, aspects, you know, so much. And I think it's so hard because in our, political climate and uh, media climate, it's everyone wants to treat everything as one dimensional. Mm-hmm. And, and so in, in that sense, when you look at somebody one dimensionally, it's really hard to ascertain their character. You know, you, you just, you just draw out one aspect of whatever that, and you kind of blow it up and emphasize that part of it. Right. You know, I think of, you know, for like a business, it needs to, it needs to make money in order to employ its employees to provide the uh, uh, spaces for people to come to um, uh, uh, to grow. Um, but also, it's like a company also provides you know emotional support for their staff, for their community. Um, they. Uh, have a civic role as far as like how their community um, uh, comes together, you know? So it's, I think there's, there's a lot of different levels. So you might be, you might excel in some and also maybe are growing in others, but it's like the totality of all those aspects, Um, you know, businesses that have courage that are, Mm -hmm. you know, step up in the, in the midst of, need and want, you know, obviously we're thinking of businesses specifically, but also just people in general, you know, when you see somebody rise to a challenge that, you know, Hmm. actually, no, this is really hard, but you somehow have kind of risen to this challenge. Yeah. That's interesting. I like how you described it as not one dimensional, that there's many aspects that are revealed in an individual that has character. Yeah. And it seems almost impossible to describe an ideologue as having character because Mm. that seems sort of like the opposite there there, that becomes very, an ideology makes you become very one dimensional. Yeah. And so you, you don't really say of somebody who is acting out an ideology, that person has character. You would say of a person that they have character if 
they are willing and able to operate outside of that mm-hmm. to hold, to hold maybe to hold certain beliefs, but be able to act in a way that wouldn't be the direct prescription of those beliefs, but, mm-hmm. but to incorporate some of the unknowns to question their own beliefs and try out new answers. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking about, um, you know, you and I have had a couple conversations about Dan Crenshaw, the Congressman from, from Houston. Mm. Um, you know, I've only seen a couple of interviews with him, but it, character is a word that I would apply to him. I think he has character. And one yeah. of the reasons that I feel that way is that he doesn't seem to be your typical or, or he doesn't seem to espouse the typical Republican viewpoint. Yeah. He sort of seems to be Republican in terms of his, where he stands on his policies, mm-hmm. but he has conversations with people like Bill Maher and is willing to fully engage that in a way that is, sees the two parts of that conversation as equal and is, is just as willing to be right as he is to be wrong. Yeah. Which I think that, I mean, you guys, uh, if you haven't seen the Dan Crenshaw and Bill Maher uh, interview, it was like this week or last week or something. Yeah. It was really great. It's like two people that disagree politically, but had a really fun interaction. Yeah. And you could, you could see a mutual respect, but they were definitely on different sides of these issues. And I, re- I really enjoyed that. That was just, that was a lot of fun. Because I have a lot of respect for Bill Maher and also Dan Crenshaw. So it's like, just seeing two people uh, kind of go at it, but in a really fairly respectable, respectable way. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I wished it was longer. I wanted, I, to, too. I wanted them to talk more. Uh-huh. It was only about 15 minutes long. Yeah, whenever Bill Maher was on, a, um, on a Joe Rogan, uh, he, kind of, it's, he kind of was talking about like his, his format still is not at the level of uh, Joe Rogan's. You know, it, it's a little bit more sound bitey. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. And he didn't say it exactly like that, but he was okay. just giving Joe Rogan some props on like, this is a really great format. Mm. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. I'll have to listen to that one. I, I had, I don't know a ton about Bill Maher. I haven't listened to much of his stuff, but I, I liked him as well. Mm-hmm. I like him cause he's, he's a little bit feisty, <laughs> but even though he's like really feisty, like he still, he still has a level head on him, you know. And I, I disagree with him on, on on some things. I mean, obviously, we disagree with everybody on some things. So it's not, right. it's not, so that's not saying anything. <laughs> uh, but I, I do appreciate his feistiness, but also his willingness to either just like, okay, we disagree. Like, you know, I yeah. agree. Yeah, I like that. But he's kind of funny too. <laughs> Speaking of that, I was thinking like, man, maybe even coronavirus. I'm gonna try some new stuff. I want to try to be a comic, you know. <laughs> that's something i've always wanted to do really yeah why i don't know it just seems like such a unique experience to like go stand up in front of people in that capacity and risk bombing in that capacity Mm -hmm. like you know i've spent plenty of time on the stage playing music but you don't ever bomb like you do as a comic in that sort of uniquely vulnerable way well i mean i've played bad shows but yeah it's a different thing, I think, than a comic getting up there and telling a joke and it's just quiet and nobody says anything. That's it. Yeah, I guess it is a lot more dependent on the audience. Yeah. 
of their interaction with you? I mean, obviously a good show, like I've always seen you, whenever you, you had a good show, you said, oh, I felt the audience connecting with me too. So. Yeah, well, that's the other thing is when I play a good show, I know it's good because I can feel it from the audience, but it's not, it's not um, directly signaled by a very specific audible expression from the audience. Mm. Whereas in comedy, you tell a joke and if people aren't laughing... <laughs> They're not into it. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you have uh, one goal. <laughs> I just watched the Chris D'Elia. Uh, uh, his, his, his special came out on Netflix. It was really funny. Have you ever seen, do you know Chris D'Elia? Yeah, I've seen a couple okay. of his, his stand-ups. Yeah. Uh, he's funny. Uh, yeah, I like, I like that guy. But yeah, he was talking about bombing and you know how you get kind of used to it and mm. kind of, uh, uh, again, builds character, you mm. know. Hmm. So he says, like he said, he was saying that sometimes he'll just go out in public and just bomb on purpose, just so that he can still like, like, be familiar with that feeling. You know, <laughs> just kind of saying, go- <laughs> "I've gotten so good that I don't bomb anymore, so I've got to go do it on purpose <laughs> to keep myself grounded." <laughs> well, just it, I think it was something like, so it doesn't sneak up on me because hmm. it's like ever so often it sneaks up on me, and I'm just like, "Ah, what's that feeling?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like this. But it kind of makes sense is like, you know, whenever, like in a business, whenever you go through like really hard times and then you come out the other side of it, you kind of like are all amped up and then you kind of hit into a sort of a normalcy. And then once that, once those uh, hard times come again, it takes a little bit to get back into that mindset of sort of, okay, I gotta be creative. I gotta think about this. This is going to be hard. You know, it's in... I can even think about like for fighters, you know, if you don't fight for a while, you're not, you're not used to getting hit in the face. Yeah. I think that would be difficult. I don't know. I think humans are really well adapted to normalcy. And when things change, it's really hard to kind of turn the ship to accommodate the change. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody was making a really great point about sort of the, lunacy of things like closing down beaches. Oh yeah. Um, and sort of the, the reason being given for the the shutdown of beaches, well, we can't staff them with lifeguards. So, you know, it's not safe and, and it would be unsafe to staff them with lifeguards because we need to protect the lifeguards and whatnot. Mm -hmm. We're sort of like on its face. We're like, okay, whatever. But what is it saying about us? where we don't trust ourselves or other people like beaches existed long before lifeguards existed. Like we knew how to handle the beach and we expected that if you're going to go to the beach and you're getting the water that you know enough about that to be able to avoid the situations that, um, that could present danger to you. Hmm. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, the, the level of, what they said, uh, oh, this is Brett Weinstein, actually. He said, you know, live at your own risk. Um, we kind of, when things are really normal, you start taking for, for granted the way that they are. And in this case, it seems to re- be revealing that we don't really know how to live at our own risk. Mm-hmm. You get, you, I guess the argument... Go ahead. go ahead. I was just saying the argument that is like whenever... Sort of like the idea of like when your personal freedom infringes on other people's freedom, mm-hmm. uh, like that's that's kind of where the 
uh, rights are kind of coming, what do you call it? When your freedoms start to infringe on other people's freedoms, like there's a, I lost the word for that. But I, I, I agree with what you're, I agree with what you're, what you're, what you're saying, you know, basically, which is, you know, we need to allow people for people to take responsibility for their actions. Mm-hmm. It's like, and, and for the children. failure of those actions, mm-hmm. like we need to not be looking for who to blame when things go wrong. Like people need to be free to engage in their own responsibility and to quite frankly, suffer the consequences of that. And we need to be fr- okay with that because yeah. that is fundamental in life. We sound like libertarians right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, there is an aspect of that. I mean, I, I, I mean, cause it, it makes sense. Like you, you even see in child rearing, you know, helicopter parenting and a lot of the things we've talked about in the last two or three episodes, as far as allowing people to make mistakes and kids to make mistakes at certain ages. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's, if not, it's like, we need, we need the police to be around. Yeah. We need more police to be around. We need more laws. We need more government. We need more, you know, it's like, right. there is no end until you are enslaved yourself. Like, so obviously I'm going to ad absurdum here, but, um, that is kind of the part that we're always trying to struggle with is like, what, what, again, even with this COVID stuff is what do we do, need to do to put in place to create or provide that security? At the same time, we need to be careful that we don't allow people to exercise their responsibility and um, uh, decision-making and all that. In a way that's damaging to other, the people around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to, I mean, cause there's, there's some people talking about like, we need to shut down for the next eight months. It's like, I mean, 32,000, 32 million people have lost their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's crazy. You know, it's like, I mean, it's all crazy. There's no, there's no easy decision here. No, there's no easy decision. It's complex. But more and more data is coming out. I saw that, um, a, uh, a, college or university in California, I think, um, finally has a decent serology study. And so, uh, checking for antibodies to, Mm -hmm. uh, SARS-CoV-2. And I, I don't have it pulled up and I don't remember the exact numbers, but based upon out of a sample group of 3000, um, infection rate to, death rate oh, put right. it put the fatality rate at point one two between point one two percent and point two percent which is quite a bit lower than the working numbers we've kind of been tossing around mm-hmm. um, so that was like an obviously so- fairly small sample size it what you know there was the the other um, example recently of the uh, hospital testing um, maternity ward of 200 people. So this is quite a bit bigger than that. We probably need more in bigger studies. And there was some complaint about the, this was really interesting, about the um, the methods they use for finding people to participate in the study. 
Oh, I see. Um, so they were using a Facebook ad to get people to use the to to enter the study, and so there's um, there's critique that the the study may not may be biased because a what is the demographic of Facebook, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know the answer to that, uh, and b if you if you are passively if you're presenting people with an advertisement and requiring them to volunteer, then are you, are you getting a sample of people who are volunteering because they think maybe that they have had it mm-hmm. and want to know? Yeah. So is that um, descriptive of the general, general population or is it biased towards people who would have the, have the disease already? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's so interesting because every number that we have is is made up of so many assumptions and so many potential biases it's so hard to come up with numbers that are quote unquote true yeah um i'm so fascinated in statistics for for that reason i wish that that i understood statistical analysis better mm-hmm. because the more things like that that i read and i remember you know, how hard it is to have unbiased numbers. Um, I'm just reminded that when you don't think very much about that, you tend to just sort of read a data set or graph in an article and take it as validated and true. Mm -hmm. I think that's for me is like whenever I hear people recite statistics, you know, I do, I do know that you can use statistics even if they are disproving to your own point, you can make them look and say what you want them to say. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always find it, and I think that's why like, I've really enjoyed this Fauci guy because he, well, I've said this on another podcast too, but I really do appreciate that. Like, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, here's what we believe it's telling us. And this is why we're not sure if it's true or not. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of messaging is good because I, I read. You know, I mean, there's just a, one guy was just making a point on just basically showing a bunch of statistics from the COVID stuff and all the different types of interpretations you could have by the data. And like, uh, I think his one was BBC showed a chart that was only showing 15 percent as the as the uh, as the length of the study where it doesn't show like a hundred percent. So it looked like, you know, 65 was at the very tip of it. People over 65 and 80 were at the very tip of this graph. Mm -hmm. And so it looked extreme, but if you were to state the same statistics, you'd say, well, 98% of people will live from this disease Hmm. will not die. Mm -hmm. It has a different sound to it. I mean, it's not that again, I'm not making any, any, uh, uh, I'm just I'm just more speaking towards how we look at data and how we interpret data and how we how we build a narrative around the data. So hmm. I mean, still, well, can we bring the the character word back? I mean, would yeah, you true. would you say that Fauci's ability to balance the known and the unknown is is an indication of his character that he has character? I would think so. I mean, I've kind of, uh, I would say I, I, I tend to listen to him with mm-hmm. more, 
uh, respect or at least I consider his what he says. And I obviously I didn't go and like look at all I look at the different data that says things differently and the same right. as he's talking about just to just to make sure you know or yeah give me the warm fuzzy you know. <laughs> Well, I mean, it does seem like the way that he's approaching it is engendering trust in you mm-hmm. to some mm-hmm. level. And I also get the feeling like he's coming at it as a scientist mm-hmm. or as a epidemiologist. So he's not really looking at the other implications of what is happening. So <laughs> like Steve to- Forbes came out and talked about this and he's looking at it from an economical point of view. And some people get angry about that. Well, then we go back to the idea of this is a multidimensional problem we have here. Mm-hmm. And so we need to listen to the economists that have that input. We need to listen to the epidemiologists. We need to listen to psychologists and what the impact of our, you know, it's all these different parts need to inform our decision making. Right. It's not just one aspect. It does seem like Fauci has done a pretty good job of speaking from within his expertise and, and not reaching outside of that lane into the economics and into the politics too yeah. much, but mm-hmm. playing to his role in that situation, mm-hmm. which and is not impressive. That he shouldn't, yeah. Well, not that he shouldn't also go into those other areas, but mm-hmm. there's a certain amount that, I mean, I, even for like you and I, we dance around and once we kind of get like, okay, well, we're not epidemiologists <laughs> or economists or, uh-huh. you know, it's like, right. it's like, but we're also, we're, we're curious about these different aspects and we're trying to put things together as well as these different people that might be specialized in their fields. You know, I think the ones that can really tie like those, uh, what do you call them? Polymaths, you know, I think mm-hmm. Peterson's one of those, Eric Weinstein's one of those. Um, you know, I think there's just some really, uh, that can really draw from a lots of different, uh, Jonathan Heights, one of those. Yeah. Lots of different areas of expertise mm-hmm. and deep exactly. knowledge and understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Jonathan Heights is, um, wrote, uh, the coddling of the American mind. Is that yeah. him? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's done a lot. He's a heterodox Academy. He's a, he's a, he's a guy on the left that really was, Again, a guy with character, hmm. you know, he was just seeing a lot of like a lot of the his fellow colleagues who were also on the left as he is uh, more liberal. And he was noticing that in the in the universities that there wasn't a uh, their conservative point of view is not being presented and how that was actually hindering uh, people looking at uh, different uh uh, issues from different points of view. Mm-hmm. And so that's when he kind of formed the heterodox Academy, which is bringing people from different points of view, whether it be liberal conservative or some variation, libertarian, you know, points of view and bringing them together to discuss and have a more broader viewpoint. So he was a liberal that said, we really need the conservative point of view. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Yeah. He wrote a book before coddling of American mind, which was, Oh gosh. I forget the name of it, but but that was kind of that that book was specifically. He's a psychologist at Harvard, and uh, he was like he actually did a, did research into uh, liberal and conservative thinking and why there's why they're distinct and why you need both. Yeah, uh, 
uh, Peterson gets into that too about why you need both a liberal and a conservative perspective and how right. they balance each other. Right. He does a really good job of that. Hmm. Well, we're about at an hour and I Damn. don't want to go too far into politics. Ah, true. <laughs> but I was just thinking that, I mean, that's such a great point and it, it just speaks to our conversation about character that you need multiple aspects something can't be one dimensional. It needs multiple aspects to be articulated well and to be strong and work together well. Mm-hmm. And we need both the left and the right. And we need mm-hmm. discourse between the two in order for our country to have character. Yeah. In order for the full character of our country to be expressed. Mm-hmm. And the less, the less we are allowing that cross discourse the less character we have as a country that's true we become more one one dimensional right and divided yeah yeah not integrated mm-hmm. that's good usually people with character are very integrated yeah yeah well that was um now my and my gears are just spinning. I know, I know. I feel like we could go. We, we could probably do a two-hour episode here, but we might want to stick to our. I think we should stick to our hour. hours. Um, I'm also our like COVID hours. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm also um, finding myself increasingly and more quickly exhausted by um, looking at screens. Probably because oh, yeah. I'm working remotely and I'm on video conference calls all day long, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, it, I'm realizing it's starting to take it out of me in, in, mm-hmm. uh, surprising ways. Yeah. So, well, let's, let's wrap it up there. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. And yeah. thanks for coming out to the shores with us. Thank you guys. We'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. See y'all. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry.